Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. All right, going to have another conversation here about the latest out of the Middle East and that situation and where it might be headed. As I said, uh, a lot of people watching and waiting today to see if there could be some sort of deal reached to get the hostages released, um, or at least some of them. I don't think it would be all of them, um, but Melanie uh, Jolie, Canada's Foreign Affairs Minister, you might have heard in the news saying that they're, they're watching closely um, there's been a lot of high-level negotiation that's been going on for weeks, really, and apparently the deal's been in place for a very long time. Some of the reporting I saw this weekend said the deal, basically the, the, the essence of it, the structure of it, has been in place going back to October, well into October. Um, uh, but Israel wasn't willing to go along until they had done some work with trying to eradicate Hamas from Gaza. So th- there, there's all kinds of different things that are going on, on the other side. Canada working hard to get Canadians out of Gaza on Sunday. Uh, 84 more Canadians and their families managed to get out through the uh, Rafah border crossing into Egypt. Um, that update that was delivered uh, yesterday morning said that 376 Canadians and permanent residents and their relatives have been able to get out of Gaza so far. Um, Somewhere around 12,000 people have been killed in Gaza since fighting began. That's in the last six or seven weeks. Thousands more are missing, and there are still hundreds of Canadians in Gaza. So a lot happening here. Let's get an update on where we are and where some of these international efforts might be headed. We're going to have a conversation with Dr. Robert Hewish, an associate professor in international development studies at Dalhousie University. Uh, Dr. Hewish, thanks so much for joining us again. Appreciate your time. Oh, my pleasure. Good morning. Okay, so first of all, I can't imagine what kind of effort goes into facilitating the evacuation of citizens from Gaza. I mean, just based on what we know about that part of the world right now. But it does seem like the government is making progress. In your mind and in your eyes, is the government doing what needs to be done in this area? Yeah, it's definitely in the right direction. And right now we're seeing that the the government of Canada is putting the efforts in on the consular service side to get people in Gaza who have got Canadian citizenship or relatives who should be reunited with families into Egypt and then on the plane into Canada. So that's an important factor. And right now, I mean, that's that's basic duties of what uh, any nation state should do for its citizens. And, you know, there could be other cases around the world where other countries are going through similar processes. But what is kind of lingering quietly here and that no one really feels uh, committed to talking about yet by any government is, like you said earlier, the, the amount of fatalities in Gaza is, is extreme yeah. for, for yeah. A, a place of this size. The amount missing is also extreme. So we see now it's total displacement uh, within Gaza Strip. This creates a refugee situation. Who will respond to the needs, the humanitarian needs of refugees? Typically, in conflict zones, it's the neighboring countries that take on the most. So I think back to Syria, how most of the Syrian refugees uh, went to Turkey and then also into Lebanon, mm-hmm. surrounding areas. The same thing can be said about Iraq. But in these times of conflict, usually Canada steps up and says, we, are, we will take in refugees. Yeah, sure, look at Ukraine. Ukraine, absolutely. 
where is that message when it comes to those from Gaza and Palestine? That has been alarmingly quiet. Dr. Hewish, and I hear this all the time, uh, why are neighboring Arab states welcoming the people of Gaza? And Egypt has closed the border, right? Uh, we, we know about the situation. Uh, we, we talk about Canada. What about the Arab states in the region? So that's a really good question. And what took place last week was a meeting of the Arab League, and this is a you know this is a gang of, of, of nations that uh, even have people like uh, from from Syria, who uh, who themselves are responsible for for, for conflict yeah, with the sounds, yeah. So you know, but there's not always unity within these ranks. There's lots of divisions between Saudi and Qatar and and, and whatnot. But what there is, if you sort of listen to what was said at that meeting, uh, most of the Arab states took the opportunity to rail against Israel for the actions that are that are taking place and the methods that uh, Israel's going about in seeking the removal of Hamas. But nobody showed real loyalty to. Hamas, and that's that's important because the the, the modus operandi, the, the methods used by Hamas are not ones that put other Arab nations at ease. And so, this is why the security. We talk about just how much Israel keeps that border uh, around yeah. Gaza uh, surveyed. Egypt does the same. Uh, there's there's just enough uh, security worries on the Egyptian side. Uh, to towards Hamas that they feel that they need to 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 keep the the, the borders tightened and and that's a twofold part. One is that they're not sure who is active in Hamas ranks and who is a Palestinian who just lives under Hamas. Right, that's not always clear. And they're also worried about the use of any importing or exporting of what they call dual use technology that could be used for creating belligerent weapons. So combined together, the way that, that Hamas operates. Is isn't something that syncs up with the values of many of the, the countries in, uh, in the Middle East and the Arab nations. Uh, in fact, there was a lot more work uh, before this conflict broke out of trying to make diplomatic and at least moving towards normalized relations with Israel before this all kicked off. Um, okay, so we've got we've got refugees, we've got um, evacuees, we've also got hostages, and that's another thing that Melanie Jolie said they're watching closely, and we might actually see some hostages released by Hamas uh, from Gaza in exchange for Palestinian prisoners. Um, what, what kind of negotiations? I mean, this has been going on for weeks, and from what I understand, Doctor, the deal essentially that we might see come to, you know, like later today, possibly even, has been in place for a while, but Israel hasn't wanted to pull the trigger on it until now, if they will pull the trigger on it at all. What, what, what do you think about this situation? I think that's highly accurate. I think that's very, very accurate uh, because w- just after the conflict broke out in the middle of October, immediately, uh, I mean, within hours, Qatar stood up and started sending diplomatic communiques to both Hamas and to Israel to say, look, we can we can get your people back. Let's talk about this uh, prisoner exchange, get people out of Gaza, and in return there will be uh, Gazans who are in uh, Israeli prisons that should be returned as well. So that infrastructure was all there and set up. And initially it was Hamas that said, we're not going to go near this. Uh, we've got uh, we've got more more and more coming. And then Israel eventually said, no, we're going to go in and do it uh, the way that we see fit. And so both, neither side, neither belligerent was was prepared to deal with any sort of a negotiation around that. But in terms of knowing who is, is going to be involved in this sort of, we call it you know, hostage diplomacy or prisoner exchange, 
Qatar was putting the infrastructure and the resources in there right from the beginning. And only now, uh, I think you're seeing things turn to the point where the international community is standing back, really taking a second glance at how the Israeli Defense Forces have executed their their campaign in Gaza, one that was supposed to be strategic, go after Hamas. Mm-hmm. You have 12,000 Palestinians who've lost their lives so far, at least. Right? That's not strategic. That's catastrophic. And then you've also got, on the other side, uh, Hamas is an organization that stays steadfast to the elimination of Israel. And now we know very much that Hamas is a very well-funded organization from a series of international sources. So Neither side was willing to, to sort of back down, but now, between popular opinion and now that we're getting more exposure on how Hamas funds itself, well, now both sides have been have been wounded in public opinion, shall we say. And so now we can see the negotiations might, might be closer than we think. Um, one of the things that I was really struck by a couple of weeks ago, I, I can't even remember who I was talking to, but they said uh, that reminds them of an instance back when the United States was talking about going into Afghanistan and Bush mm-hmm. looked at all of his advisors around the table and said, okay, so what's the plan when we're done? Who's running this place? Nobody yeah. had an answer. Nobody had a clue. Um, do we know what the plan is for Gaza? Do we know? I mean, that needs to be part of this, too, or you end up with what we've called a forever war that the United States found themselves wrapped up in. Yeah, and that's exactly the case. When it looked like the Israeli Defense Forces were assembling, were calling up the volunteer military to come around and actually seek into this ground invasion into Gaza, only only three things could have happened. Uh, one is that uh, Israel would be in a position to not have an exit strategy, and there is no exit strategy put in place. So they will likely be present as an occupying force and power in parts of, of Gaza. That's likely to be the case. The second thing is that they were able to actually eradicate Hamas leadership. They haven't done that. Uh, and had they done that, what sort of a power vacuum would have been in that place. Would would another group have risen up to take uh, to try to take control of Gaza? Not sure. But the, the the scenarios leading forward as to you know would it be a strategic quick strike? Would there be the ability to remove Hamas altogether? That didn't play out. So now yes, we're looking at something where Israeli defense forces are going to start preparing to have more of a physical permanent presence in Gaza. And that is, that's a new world. That's something that uh, since Gaza was established, that Israeli Defense Forces have always been very reluctant to try to engage with that yeah. scenario. But yet here we are. So, Doctor, going forward, given all of that and everything that we see in negotiations and potentially a deal on hostages and, and, and the mounting pressure, as you said, internationally uh, against what is happening, um, are, are we getting closer to, I'm not going to say an end because this has never ended before and I'm not assuming it will this time, um, but uh, something different than we've seen for the last seven weeks? Yeah, it could. It could very well be. Uh, again, because I think that Israel is now in a position where it's unable to justify its its actions of response. I mean, people are starting to use the term war crimes, and 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 this goes in both directions on some of the hospitals that we've seen uh, make, make the news quite a bit in in Gaza. Uh, it is a war crime to attack a hospital. It's also a war crime to hide a military yeah, base exactly. in a hospital. Yeah. So in these negotiations, I would expect there's going to have to be some assurances uh, given to both sides that no one is going to be making a trip up to The Hague. Now, Palestine actually subscribes to the International Criminal Criminal Court. Israel does not. 
So how that's going to play out in terms of who's going to answer for misinformation and disinformation that's led to the, this needless civil, civilian uh, fatalities, who's going to be punished for that in an international forum is going to matter. Uh, so that will likely be part of the bargaining that we're not hearing a whole lot about now. But down the road, I mean, you know, Hamas has shown that the, it does not have support in the Arab world. And many countries around the world are having difficulty uh, supporting Israel's actions, uh, yeah. if at all. So in both cases, the, 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 the tide is turning on this. And the question just stands is like, why in the world did it happen in the first place? Why was this instigated and now? What purpose uh, was served by, by initiating that attack? From, uh, from Hamas onto Israel, and then Israel's choice of response coming back. That's a mystery we're still going to unpack. Yeah, and there, there are competing theories about that, right? Uh, you know, trying to drive a wedge into any peace efforts that might have been taking place. There's all kinds of speculation as to why Hamas did what they did. Sure, and, and I think the one thing that if we're, you know, for those who are, who are we see the protests around the world. We see, you know, uh, the Free Palestine protests, we see the Solidarity Israel protests. But what needs to be reminded is that anytime war breaks out, that in the history of war, right back into biblical times, you do have belligerents who will fight each other. Mm-hmm. But there's usually a robber baron behind it. There's someone who sure. always profits, and that's on both sides. So where and how the financing came to Hamas more internet, like to, to put the financing and support in their pocket to engage in that, that needs to be called out. And in terms of how Israel gets its military support and funding, well, that's pretty obvious. Yeah. I mean, they, they advertise on public TV for yeah. it. So, yeah. um, but th- this also needs to be part of the equation in terms of peace building is how was this attack financed and why? So many questions, and uh, we might get more answers in the coming days here. Uh, Dr. Hewish, as always, thank you so much for your time. I do appreciate you being here.